0: Wow, (laughs) look at all of you. It's great to see you, thank you so much for being here. Uh, It is a joy and a privilege for me to be here with you this morning, studying God's word together today. Thank you so much for coming, thank you so much for being a part of this Bible study, starting off this new semester studying God's word. I just love it, I love coming this first day, I love thinking about studying God's word this semester with all of you. Now, you've received a great deal of information already today. I, I, I know that. You just got a little bit more instruction. It's kind of a little bit like the first day of school. You come in, you find your small group table, you try to locate that, and then you meet your small group leader, and you meet the other guys at your table, and hopefully you know one of them, maybe or maybe not. And then you get your notebook, and you open, and wasn't that a pretty cover, yeah, I love that. You open your notebook and uh, you begin to find the dates and the instructions and the guidelines. And then you opened up uh, the Bible and looked at First John. And now we're here and we're going to listen to me for a few more minutes. And uh, I think there's a lot of emotion in this room right now. I think probably some of you are really excited and happy. Uh, You love this first day, you've done this before, you love Women in the Word, this is your happy place. And I get that because I'm pretty excited as well. Some of you out there I think are maybe exhausted. It's been a long day for you already. You might have had a difficult time getting here. And some of you may be overwhelmed, especially those of you that are brand new to Women in the Word and all this information coming at you. You might be feeling a little overwhelmed or even confused or maybe a little frustrated. And I'm wondering if there's like one or two of you that are contemplating running out of here and never coming back. (laughs) I hope not. I hope not. But the opening day can be difficult, can be kind of hard, and so I have an opening day story for you. It's about my granddaughter Hallie. She started fifth grade this year. She's down in the Woodlands, just north of Houston, and there they have fifth and sixth grade together in a school called an intermediate school. And so they have changed classes, have different teachers and lockers and all that. So the day before school started, all the fifth graders came with their parents to meet their teachers and, and locate the classrooms and change and find out where they're going to be going. And then to find their lockers, which have a combination lock on it. So my daughter Rachel is telling me this story and she goes, Mom, picture it. And you can picture these tall, narrow lockers and they're cut in half so there's a top locker and a bottom locker. And the kids, they all went out to find their locker and each kid has one or two parents with them so standing in front of this locker is between four and six people and right next to them four to six people and she goes mom on the other side four to six people and we all began to get a little sweaty and we're pushing each other and trying to get forward and it's getting louder as the parents are trying to tell their children how to open that combination lock she said mom it was chaos It was chaos, and so I was thinking about that this morning as I was walking through, hoping that it didn't seem like chaos to you today, because I know the leadership team has worked really hard at making this seem uh, warm and friendly and helpful and inviting, um, peaceful and calm, but if it didn't feel like that for you today, I want you to give us another chance and come back next week. (laughs) Or you might try to find somebody in leadership and tell them your story, tell them what you're thinking, or I would love to hear it. So if, if it really was a really, really bad day, please come up afterwards and, and introduce yourself to me and, and let me hear your story. I wanna know what happened, because we want you to come back, we want you to be a part of Women in the Word, studying God's Word together. I have one more really quick opening day story and it's about my youngest granddaughter, Harper, and she lives in town and she started kindergarten this year. So after her first day, I called and said, Harper, what did you think about kindergarten? And she said, well, Grammy, it was learning about our environment that we will be working in this year and meeting our friends that will be in our environment with us. I don't even think I ever said the word environment till I was in sixth grade. So I'm going to take a little time and talk to you today about the environment at Women in the Word. Really, I like to say I'm going to give you some introductory material. We're going to talk about uh, why we study the Bible, how we study the Bible at Women in the Word, and what we're going to be studying this semester. Now, I know that you have talked about the goal for Women in the Word in your small group time, and part of that is to interact with God's Word. We want to engage with His Word. We want to interact with His Word. We want to soak in it, like soaking in a bubble bath. We want to immerse ourselves in God's Word. And when I think of immerse, I think of jumping off into the water and getting totally wet, my hair and all, everything wet. And that reminds me of another story. Uh, this happened many, many years ago. I was with a really dear friend, and she invited uh, me and... and our children were gonna to go to this pool that she had joined. And so we went, we took our kids and we jumped in and we're swimming and splashing and getting wet and going off the diving boards and playing around. And suddenly I kind of look around and I notice, we are the only grown-ups in the pool. All the other ladies are sitting outside in chairs and they've got color coordinated sunglasses and bathing suit and sun hat. And they're not wet at all, their hair looks great. Nothing is wet on them. And so I kind of say to my friend, hey, I'm feeling a little awkward. Do you realize we're the only grown-ups in the pool? She said, oh, Deb, it's okay, because we're having so much fun. I thought, yeah, you're right. And I dove right back in. That's what we want for you this semester. We want you to immerse yourself in God's word. We want you to jump in and get wet. Get your hair wet. Immerse yourself in God's word. We want you to be excited about it. We want you to love studying God's word. So why do we study God's word? Read and study God's word. There's many reasons, but I'm going to talk about two this morning. And the first one is we study God's word to meet with God and to know him better, to interact with God. The Bible, this is God's great love story. It's his story and it's relational because God is relational. And he created us to be relational beings as well. God wants us to know him and to be in relationship with him. And so God reveals himself in the Bible through his love story. And it's revelatory. Revelatory means reveal. The Bible reveals who God is. We wouldn't know things about God except that he reveals himself in his word. And we want to know him. We want to know what he cares about, what's important to him, what he loves. We want to know God, our creator, merciful, loving, lover of our soul, powerful God. We want to know him. So we don't study the Bible for a bunch of head knowledge so that we can win at Bible trivia or so that we can check off the box that says I read my Bible all week so that we can feel good about ourselves. I know about those things because I've done all of those things. I was on the winning Bible trivia team at church camp. So I know about that. But those are not good reasons to study the Bible. We study the Bible to know God as He reveals Himself in His Word and It's relevant, it's relevant. God's story is relevant to you personally to our lives and our situations in this very day and time in this world. No other book is like the Bible. Another book is relevant throughout the ages. But God's story includes all kinds of different people's story. The Bible is a narrative compilation. It's not a reference manual. It's not a how-to book or a list of do's and don'ts. It is a story in which we participate. We, each one of us, are part of God's story. So put yourself in the story as you read the Bible. Now, notice I didn't say that God is a part of your story. I said you are a part of God's story. Do you see the difference? Sometimes I wake up and I say, oh, Lord, uh, here's what I'm going to do today. And I'm thinking about this, and I want to call this person, and I want to reach out to, and I want to do, and God, come along with me. And before I know it, I've made all these plans, and, and suddenly I hear the voice of God saying to me, Deb, Deb, it's my story. It's much bigger than you. It's all of this from the past, to the present, and the future. I want you to be a part of my plan, part of my story. Now, it's okay to tell God, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'd like to do, here's a... It's okay, but it's that perspective that God is big, and we want to be part of his story. We want to be part of his plan. It's kind of like Job uh, when he was listening in, uh, to God reveal himself, chapters 38 through 41 in Job, they are awesome. And after he had revealed himself, Job responds to God with these words. And it's on your extra verse sheet that you have there. It's Job 42, five, And Job says to the Lord, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. We wanna see God as he reveals himself to us through his word. So we study the Bible to meet with God and to know God, and as we immerse ourselves into his word, our relationship with God grows deeper and more authentic, more intimate, We know what's important to God. We know what He loves and what He cares about, and we begin to love and care about those things too, and so our choices are different. We um, live life a little differently. We are changed, and that is the second reason we study the Word of God, because the Bible radically changes people's life. The Bible, studying it, changes us. As we immerse ourselves in His story, we find ourselves changed. Paul said to Timothy in his second uh, letter to Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's very important to know. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. We are changed, we're made complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible radically changes people's lives, not just our habits, but our heart and our hopes, and our thinking and our lives. Other religions, other philosophies or books may change our habits, but only the Bible changes us from the inside out. And that's because of the gospel, the gospel message, the good news message that Jesus, God the Son, came to earth to provide a way for each of us as broken, rebellious, wrongdoing people provide a way for us to have new life. Jesus paid the penalty of our messy, sinful lives by shedding his blood on the cross, dying, and then resurrecting on the third day as he overcame death. Jesus came down to us. God descended to us. He came down to us, coming for you and me. It's not about working our way to God. It's God coming down for you and me. The Bible is God's great love story for each of us from the very beginning. We see it in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating everything in it, including the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And he walked with them in the garden. He was in an intimate relationship with them until one day they rebelled against God and did the one thing that God told them not to do. And they knew immediately that their fellowship with him was broken. But God, in his mercy and grace, had a plan for Adam and Eve. And he had a plan for the whole world, for a Savior to come into the world. And it would be his son, Jesus, coming to earth, fully man and fully God, to redeem a wrecked and ruined world. We see that, the the beginning of that, in chapter 3 of Genesis And then quickly there's a flood and we know Noah gets off the ark with his wife and sons and their wives and that son of blessing Seth from his line would come Abraham down through the ages and Abraham, God would call him to follow him and Abraham would follow him. And so Abraham has a son Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob has 12 sons and those sons and their families would grow and become the nation Israel, God's people. And from God's people would come the Savior of the world. And so we see through the Old Testament this uh, story continuing. We see from Jacob's son Judah that from his line would come David, King David. And from David, all the kings that reign in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom would come from the line of David all the way through the Old Testament until the New Testament opens in Matthew. And Jesus is born, son of God and son of Mary. From the line of David, we see God's story continuing through. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus walking on earth, revealing the Father and giving his life as a ransom for us. And then after he ascends back into heaven, Acts opens up and here's the believers. And they, believers become the church. The church that's what the church is believers and they begin to spread this good news story of Jesus and how he came to bring new life and as we read and study God's story we are changed and we begin to look more and more like Jesus God's word is powerful it changes us from the inside out Hebrews 4:12 tells us that for the word of God is living and active it's powerful I have a quote by Dwight L. Moody. He was the uh, great American evangelist from the uh, late 1800s. And he says in this story that he prayed for faith. And he thought it would just strike him like lightning. And so he prayed. And then one day he was reading Romans 10 and he read this. Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he says, I opened my Bible and began to study. And faith has been growing ever since. Studying the word of God changes us. Changes us. So, how will we study the Bible? At Women in the Word, we want to study God's Word as a whole. And what I mean by that is we look how all the books fit together to tell God's story. Um, This gives richness and fullness and depth to our understanding of God's Word as we study. So, we we look at it as a whole. Now, the Bible is God's Word written by different authors, but they're all inspired by the Holy Spirit. We just saw that in Second uh, Timothy, and then Peter writes it in his second letter, chapter one, verse 21. It says, for no prophecy, this is the scriptures, were ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Different authors, but all inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is God's word, God's very words. And Jesus Christ is at the center of the Bible, and you see Jesus in every book in the Bible, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So usually at Women in the Word, we study a book from the Old Testament one semester and a book from the New Testament one semester, but this year, we're gonna study um, the New Testament both semesters, and that's because if you were here last year, we studied the Old Testament both semesters. So next year, we're gonna get back on track, but um, this year, two New Testament books. Then uh, we're gonna study by looking at your study questions. Amy mentioned that each week in your notebook are three pages of study questions and these are designed for you. They're designed for you to spark reflection or thought as you read and study the scripture passages. Maybe these questions will lead you to talk to God. I hope so. You might wanna say, Lord, what in the world does this mean? What are you trying to tell me here? What is the important truth? What is it that you're trying to say? Maybe you'll talk to God, because remember, when you read and study the Bible, you encounter God. You encounter God, you meet with God, you interact with God, and you are changed by the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So it's not about the right answer, it's about experiencing the Lord. And then we come to Women in the Word and to your small group and discuss the questions and the Bible verses and you give your thoughts and insights to your small group. And let me just say one more thing about these questions. If there's one question that seems difficult, just skip it. Maybe you'll have time to come back to it later, but if not, just skip it and go on. And also, I want you to know the more time you spend thinking about these questions, pondering the Scripture verses, reading them, thinking about them, the more time you give the Holy Spirit to shed light and insight on God's Word, the more you immerse yourself, the more understanding you come away with, and then the more you have to share with your small group. Now let me say to those of you that are maybe new for the first time, maybe you've never studied the Bible before, maybe you've never even opened up the Bible before, that's okay, don't worry. It doesn't matter how much you've studied the Bible or how little or never you've studied the Bible. When you open it up and begin reading, the Holy Spirit gives you insights and understanding into God's word because remember, God wants to reveal himself to you through his word. So don't tell you, sell yourself short. Uh, study, come back with your insights, because you may say the very thing that someone hears in your small group, and it's the most important thing that they're going to hear all day. So come back, share with your small group. Then we have uh, the teaching time and one of the uh, gals from the teaching team will share with you the insights that they have gained after extensive study of their scriptures and I want to tell you their names. We're going to have Vanita Jones, Lynn Kitchens, Misty Denman, Amy Foster, Shelly Davis, and Kate Tokar, part of the teaching team this semester. So let's talk about this semester's study We're going to look at three short books almost at the end of the New Testament. And they are called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Three letters or epistles, that's the scholarly word for letters. Three epistles written by John, the disciple of Jesus. John was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus And I'm not going to say much about him because this coming week, your whole study is going to be about John. We've never done this before, but there's so much to know about him that we're going to take a whole week just to study from the New Testament who John was, how he became a disciple, and how he was changed um, as he was in the presence of Jesus. So John wrote these three letters late in his life, probably theologians think in the early 90s AD. And so John was of great age. I love that. He was of great age. He was probably in his 80s. He was was elderly. And it seems that he is living in Ephesus right now. It's a wealthy, very busy seaport city on the Mediterranean Sea. And now, um, it would be in present-day Turkey, but it's just excavated ruins that you can visit. And if you've been there, it's amazing and marvelous. I hope you get a chance someday to see the ruins at Ephesus. But I have a picture. Um, We can put up that map of Ephesus for you geography buffs. I always kind of like to know where we are. So they think he was in Ephesus. Right in the middle of that map, there's a star, and that's Ephesus. That's in Asia Minor. Today, that is present-day Turkey. So you can kind of orient yourself. That's Turkey. If you look over to your left, you see Italy, and then if you look down south, you see that little strip on the Mediterranean Sea that is Israel, and you might even see Jerusalem. So that is where Ephesus is. It was a big city. Many people lived there, and they also passed through there because it was a seaport, and so it was a melting pot of cultures and religions, and John is the last disciple of Jesus that is still alive. He's the last living disciple. The rest have all been martyred and gone on to glory. And so when you think about it, Jesus was crucified in the early 30s AD. That was 60 years before this. Even Paul has been dead over 20 years at this time. And I tell you this because it helps us understand the intensity and the passion that we see in John's letters. John is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers in Jesus. Sometimes um, you might find in your notes believers in Jesus. That's the same thing as Christians. He was writing to Christians, and these are second, maybe even third-generation Christians. So those first days of Christianity, kind of that glory and excitement and radiance in life, it's passed. It's kind of slipped away. And for these second-generation believers Christianity's become a little traditional, and maybe they're a little half-hearted about it. Maybe it seems difficult to be a Christian. Some of the wonder has been lost. Or as B.B. King sings in his 60s song, the thrill is gone. The thrill is gone away, (laughs) at least for some of them at least for some that John was writing to, and we can relate to that, I can relate to that. Sometimes walking with Jesus can be difficult, seems a little hard. Maybe my love for him seems a little half-hearted and I need encouragement. So John is writing to these uh, very weary, lukewarm Christians and he's writing to encourage them. And on top of that, some people in the church are changing foundational, fundamental truths about Jesus. John is gonna call them false prophets because they're giving false information, false philosophy and truth out. They were first part of the church and then they begin to promote these new, incorrect, false philosophies and thoughts about Jesus. So believers in the church are confused. They're weary and they're confused. So, John writes these letters to point out the truth about Jesus. John wants us to know God and to understand and embrace the love of God and then love others accordingly. And that all comes, it's available through Jesus Christ. So, let's open up 1 John and we're going to look in the time remaining at the uh, first four verses here. This is kind of the greeting. It's called the greeting of this first letter. And so let me read verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So Jesus is, I mean, John is talking about Jesus here. He uses all these words, but that's, that's what he starts off with Jesus. And you might notice that this does not begin as a traditional letter with a greeting. And so on your verse sheet, you may have looked at this if you had time in your small groups today, but um, the second letter of John, it begins like this. The elder, that's referring to John, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And then his third letter begins, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So it's kind of like saying, dear Gaius, dear elect lady. So it's a greeting. But here we see that John is just diving right in, talking about Jesus. Some say that John writes this letter like a father, to dear children and in fact you're gonna see that he addresses the recipients of this letter um, many times by calling them children, my children, little children, Um, sometimes he even says beloved. So the letter is written with great affection from a father and also like a father it's written with great authority, great authority, it's a letter of no compromise, things are black and white, it's like this, this is the truth. There's no other way. So it's a very interesting letter full of affection and love and also very authoritative, no compromise. And in these first verses, uh, first four verses, John is establishing here his authority. John is the most qualified to tell us the truth about Jesus. He's the only one left here that knew and walked with Jesus. And he's telling us he has the authority because he knew Jesus. And so we see different ways that he knew him. It says that he heard him. And when it says here, we have heard him, that we, he's referring to the other apostles that were with him at that time. It says we have heard him. John heard the voice of Jesus. He listened to his teaching. When it says that which was from the beginning, probably that means um something the beginning of time that Jesus was from the beginning of time and we know that John started his first gospel out that way his gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God but more likely John is referring to the beginning here as meaning the beginning of Jesus coming to earth and beginning his ministry, the beginning of the gospel. Because that's when John heard him. That's when he listened to Jesus. And then he goes on to say, we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon. Now those are two different Greek words for see there. The one we have seen with our eyes means to catch sight of. Kinda like you catch sight of somebody as they pass by. But to look upon, that is the Greek word that means observe, to look closely, to study. John says, I not only just saw him pass by, I observed him. For three years, John was looking carefully at Jesus, what he did and who he was. John saw his healings. He saw him heal the blind man. He saw the miracles being performed. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He was there. John looked at him carefully, and then he also tells us, I've touched him. I've leaned up against him. I've hugged him. I've touched him. Jesus was flesh and blood. So not only is John establishing his authority there, he, as somebody who knew Jesus well, He's also telling us that he is totally qualified to tell us the truth about who Jesus is. He's saying listen to me and I will tell you the truth about Jesus. Truth is a word that we're gonna see many, many times in the letters of John. He cares a lot about the truth and he wants them to know the truth so that they can discern the false and then stand against it. There was much false coming at him. And we today need to know the truth so that we can tell the false thoughts that are swirling around us. And we know that. We know there's a lot of that. We, we hear things on TV. We see it on the internet and on Facebook, maybe even acquaintances or friends. They might say something and we're thinking, is that the truth? Is that really right? And we want to know the word of God so that we know the truth. And then we can discern what's false and stand against it. And the first truth that John is stating here in verse one Jesus is totally human. He says, I heard him speak, I observed him, I touched him, I saw Jesus. John saw Jesus uh, sleep, he saw him eat, he saw him cry, he saw him bleed. Jesus was flesh and blood. He came to earth and became man. And so John is giving strong support for the humanity of Jesus. And at the end of verse one, he refers to Jesus as the word of life. Jesus is called the word. In John 1, 1, we just saw that. It says the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the word. God's language is Jesus Jesus came to earth to tell us of God the Father and to give us his message, which is life. Life, so the word of life is a great title for Jesus. And then John goes on in verse two and he's gonna tell us this second truth. It says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now he calls Jesus, eternal life. He says, this life came down from heaven to us. Once again, he's using those words, saw and talking about and proclaiming to you. And he calls Jesus now the eternal life. In John 1.14, we read this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So John is giving strong support here for the deity of Christ, the deity of Christ. He has always eternally existed with the Father. Jesus told us that himself when he was talking to the Jews and the Pharisees. I don't have this verse on your verse sheet, but it's John 8:58. Um, you might remember the story, talking to the Jews. And at the end of this big conversation, he says, before Abraham, I am he was saying, I was before Abraham who had lived 1,000 years before that. And the word I am, that is a name of God. So Jesus was declaring his deity there as well. John is giving strong support for the deity of Christ. And these are two foundational truths that we too must know and believe about Jesus, his humanity and his deity. I read one quote that said it like this, Jesus, the life of of undiminished deity made flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, God the Son, came to earth as eternal life to bring us eternal life. I love what J. Vernon McGee said about that verse. One man came up to him and said, "What is eternal life?" And J. Vernon McGee, he's a was a commentary of of the Bible, and he's pretty interesting guy and so he says to this man well in verse two here in first john one it says jesus is eternal life and if you have jesus you have eternal life and i like that because i think that's exactly right when we trust and believe in jesus the eternal life we have eternal life and so he tells us that john ten ten, jesus says i came that they may have life and have it abundantly J- jesus is the eternal life And then verse three, John is writing to encourage the believers to tell them you have eternal life. And what does that mean to have eternal life right now? Let's look and see. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants them to know that eternal life is means having fellowship with God right now. You can have fellowship right now with God, the Father and the Son. And so in verse three, we see the purpose of John's letter. He wants the believers to move towards a greater intimacy with God, to experience eternal life. And so the whole rest of this letter, he's telling us how to be in fellowship with God, how to live life right now as God intended fellowship with God is the essence of eternal life. Think about that. Fellowship with God is the essence of eternal life. So what is fellowship? In the Bible, it's that rich, vibrant concept that speaks to the human need to share life with the giver of life and with other human beings. There's a desire within all of us, whether we realize it or not, to share life with the giver of life. It's the with God life. As it's called. God, throughout the Bible, makes this grace filled promise I will be with you. I will be with you, we see it. We saw it in Genesis one when we just talked about Adam and Eve. We saw it when we studied the tabernacle and God said build me this place so that I might dwell among you. We saw it last year when we studied numbers and we saw God, Shekinah glory, going in front of them as a pillar of fire or as a cloud during the day as he led the Israelites through the wilderness on their journey. Then this summer, we talked about names of Jesus, and one of the names of Jesus when he came to earth was Emmanuel, and that means God with us. God wants us to be in fellowship with him. Fellowship is an authentic, intimate relationship with God. So what does fellowship mean right here in this verse 3? That Greek word is koinonia. Some of you, especially those of you that lived through the 70s, we used to say that word koinonia a lot. It comes from that Greek adjective common, which means to have something in common. And that's what fellowship is. It's a sharing partnership. It's a two-sided relationship. There's commitment involved. It's deep and it's intimate. The word companionship comes to my mind. I think I like that word companionship. I think of it as a sweeter, deeper friendship. We can have companionship with God. This is eternal life as God meant it for us. Eternal life is not just when we go on to glory, but it's right now as we fellowship with God. That's how God meant it for us. We might have eternal life, but we're not experiencing it as God intended for us. We're not experiencing the lavish love of God Lavish, when you look it up in the dictionary, means extravagant, profuse, and generous outpouring. So I love lavish to describe God's love. It's extravagant, it's pouring over us, it's deep and wide and never ending. This summer, I had a chance to be in Oregon at the Pacific Coast, I'd never been there before, but as I walked along the ocean several days, I thought about, and we can put up a picture I have, it's not a picture I took, but it's from graphics, but the ocean looked like that. And as I walked along, and I was thinking a lot about this letter, um, 1 John, and as I saw the ocean and thought, it never ends, as I looked to the right and to the left and out to the horizon, I could not see the end of it, and I thought, this is a great picture of the love of God, of the deep, extravagant, wide, never-ending love of God, the lavish love of God. So John wants us to know God's love so that we can love him correctly and love others correctly. How often do I mess up loving others I want to love them well, but sometimes it's hard or it's difficult, I just don't know how. And so John tells us in his letter that to love well, you have to know God correctly. You have to know who he is and his love, and then we can love him well and love others well. Some other words that you're gonna see for fellowship in this letter, maybe you've already seen, communion. That's one word that's used there. Also, John uses the word abide, and that is another word for fellowship. We're gonna talk a lot about abiding. Relationship is fellowship. And he uses the phrase knowing God to mean fellowship. Not just knowing God in our head, but knowing Him in our heart and our soul. And then walking with is another uh, phrase that means fellowship. And I love that one the best because it's a great visual for me. I love to walk. I like to walk with people because it usually involves talking and then you get to know them really well. This summer, I was in uh, Indiana with my sister. We met up there for a family thing. Anyway, I love my sister. I don't get to see her often enough. And she loves to walk, she has more discipline than I. So every morning she'd say, Deb, put your shoes on. We're gonna go walking. And we walked along and looked at the beautiful trees and flowers and things in Indiana. And then we also talked about our families. And she has a new grandson now. And we talked about Jesus and how walking with Jesus, What's that's meant to us. Over all these many, many years, walking with the Lord. I love that visual. So, what motivates John to proclaim this truth about Jesus so that they might experience fellowship with God? What motivates him? Let's look at verse four. And we are writing these sayings so that our joy may be complete. John is motivated by joy. He wants his joy and our joy to be complete, to be full. Fellowship with God brings us joy. And watching those that we love, those around us, our other brothers and sisters in Christ, watching them fellowship with the Lord brings us joy. John is filled with joy as he watches his children experience the lavish love of God. On your verse sheet, I um, put this verse, very well known, John three sixteen, because I think it describes God's lavish love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life, which is fellowship with God right now. So as we come to a close this morning, I just wanna ask you a couple questions. Have you been wanting a deeper, more intimate relationship? companionship, fellowship with God? Or maybe you've been thinking about understanding how to love others better, maybe wanting to love others better. In this world today, it's hard as we try to figure out how to love others well. Or maybe you've been thinking about what is the truth? What is the truth about Jesus? What does the Bible say? What is the truth there? Or maybe you want to experience the lavish Generous pouring down over you, lavish love of God. If so, then this study of John's letters, it's for you. So come back, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love us so much, you care about us so much, you want us to know you, you want us to be in relationship with you. Father, I thank you for your word that reveals you to us. And Lord, I thank you for these ladies that have come to study your word, to know you better. And I just pray, Father, that your blessing and your lavish love would pour down over each one of them as they open up your word and find you and see you and know you better. We love you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.